The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you are listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, and by the way, um, <clears throat> a Missouri radio station uh, has picked us up for our morning show. And uh, I want to thank Sam uh, Britton for that, uh, for carrying the show over there. We appreciate that very much. And I uh, just want to let them know, too. So if you guys are listening, uh, they listen at 4 p.m. Central. So he replays it. He doesn't play it live, but he replays it there. Um, you can see these things on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. If you want to watch the video portion, you can do that. Uh, but it's over there on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And yes, you can see the face that's made for radio. That's me. Uh, while you're over there at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, there are two videos. The one on the left side is Bradley's educational video. Um He's had to make some travels. He will be gone for two or three days doing that travel. I don't know if he's going to do radio today and tomorrow. I don't know if he's going to do that or not. Um, but if he's there, he's there at 3 o'clock Eastern. If not, then you'll have another educational video up there. But you can check this one out uh, at sonslibertymedia.com. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up whatever device you've got there. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Click on the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. You can join us in the chat. A lot of friends there this morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys. And then um, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live and also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there. And we appreciate those guys giving us a spot as well. Right up under where we are, are, are streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Again, that goes out once a day between 7 and 8 Eastern. It was a little late yesterday, um, sorting out a whole bunch of different stuff. And um, so be sure to sign up for that. If you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com, and you can sign up for that right on the front page there. That'll be available. Now, just let me let me explain something, because uh, uh, Carol Ann is asking, oh, are we going to get in the book of Revelation today? No, not yet. I mean, we're going to touch on it. There's some passages we're going to read out of it for sure. Uh, but we're not in there yet. And look, I, I understand it. 
for some people, it's a big mystery. For some people, they think it's about certain things, you know, throughout history after Christ. Uh, for some people, they think it's about things in our future. Um, and I'm not saying that there's not application for our future Don't get, and for our present. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's a foundation I want to lay before we get into things like that. Okay. So this is why we, this is why we took Matthew 24, because if somebody's authoritative on Matthew 24, it's the Lord Jesus. It's him. And he told us we took three days and we continually reference it. But he, he continually does this. Uh, he continually reiterates the points of what he is pointing to. And uh, in doing so, he's showing us the, the sign of the times, if you will. Now, people use that today for certain things, and I get it. But the fact of the matter is, when you look to the Bible and you look to the Gospels, Jesus says, you can look at the sky. He's talking to the first. You can look at the sky and you can see when it's going to rain, but you don't know the time of your visitation. Okay? So he has these things in mind. Now, when, when that's going on, one of the things that we have done is, is that Jesus was very clear about what he was there to do. And the prophets were clear about what he was there to do. This is why he could say, you don't know the time of your visitation. Why? Daniel taught, told the people explicitly a time frame in which the Messiah would come, that he would be cut off, but not for himself, right? That, he, that the kingdom was going to be established. He said all of that, and I've told you, and I still have people. And look, I'm going to try to be as patient as I can. Because I know for some people, look, I was one indoctrinated with the, you know, we're in the last days, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. And we're going to talk about last days, but we're going to look at it from what the Bible says it is. Now, before I do this, most of you who've been listening to these shows, and there's we're on like number eight now on this particular subject, but I haven't really referenced anything, I mean, I haven't referenced anything but the scriptures I've gone to people like Josephus or Tacitus, who were eyewitnesses of the things uh, that happened in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. Um, I, I, used, I did use Alexander Keith's chapter on the destruction of Jerusalem. We read that. That was like the second show that we did. But other than that, we've just gone right through the scriptures. Okay. I want to recommend some books. If you want to read some things, and again, hold fast to that which is good and toss out the bad. Okay. And you need to be discerning for that, all right? This is a book by Gary DeMar and Francis Gummerlock. It's called The Early Church and the End of the World. This is what it looks like. I'll have the link up a little bit later, but this is what it looks like. And by the way, when I put these up for Amazon, it's just easy for me to tag that and pop it in. You don't have to buy from Amazon. If your conscience is offended by buying from Amazon, don't buy from Amazon. But use it as a reference to go find the book somewhere, maybe in a store or something like that if you want, if you want to do it. The other one <clears throat> is by Gary DeMar, also called Last Day's Madness. Okay? And um, I, yeah. I think these two books right here will be especially helpful. 
And then this one uh, deals with when did Jesus say he would return? This is R.C. Sproul. Now, R.C. has gone to be with the Lord, but it's called the last days according to Jesus. When did Jesus say he would return? So I'd highly recommend, you know, these three. There's there's other ones as well, but these three uh, kind of just would back up. They would continue to add to the things that we've talked about on the show. If you're wanting to get ahead a little bit, okay? Uh, if you want something on Revelation, some of you guys are asking about that. I highly recommend it. I didn't pull it off my shelf, but Kenneth Gentry's book called Before Jerusalem Fell. Before Jerusalem Fell. And I would I would say, if you want to go ahead and jump into that, knock yourself out. You can do that. Okay. Um, so anyway, so let's start where we have been starting. And that is about the kingdom. This the, the guy we had on the other week, Charlie Stewart from GodSendUsMen.com, one of the great things that, that he really grasped here, and I see it too, is that Jesus said some of his disciples would not taste death until the Son of Man was coming in his kingdom. Again, Matthew 16, verse 28. Truly I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I had a guy yesterday, in yesterday's show, it was kind of interesting, uh, <laughs> he wrote something and he said something like, you got this preterist garbage, when did the Euphrates dry up? Oh, no, he didn't ask that. Some guy on Facebook, a friend on Facebook asked that. But he asked um, something about uh, the, the wormwood out of Revelation. Well, I haven't been talking about Revelation I mean, if I make reference to it, it's it's very short. I'm sticking with particular passages now um, and going through those, and you guys know that. But they he asked that, and he says, you're, you're not even ready for the judgment that's about to fall you. You're going to be surprised by that. And he says, he said something, uh, I forget what he said. Anyway, Bradley responded, we're already under judgment, genius. And I said, all I did was read scripture in context. If you want to refute it, please go to the text and demonstrate where I'm wrong. Otherwise, all I hear is ignorance. Well, this morning, Eschaton Mysterion deleted his comment. I, I, I don't know if the heat was too hot in the kitchen. I don't know if he changed his mind. Well, I guess if he changed his mind, surely he would tell us. But here's the thing. I understand these things are hard to hear for some people. And they're hard to hear because they have been indoctrinated with this futurist view. And I'm going to tell you, the more I look at it, the more I look, I see when the people are futurist in any form where they're saying, oh, Jesus is king, but he's not really king. He's, he didn't really come and fulfill what the prophets said. They are holding to the Jews' religion. Let me say it again. If that is what you're looking for, and you don't see the work of Christ more than just the cross, you are holding to the Jews' religion, because the Jews will tell you, well, Jesus didn't come and establish his kingdom, and that's what the Bible says the Messiah will do. It's not going out throughout all the earth. Baloney, of course it is. How do you think we have it here in the United States? God never sent his prophets outside of Israel except one time, and he sent, them, he sent Jonah to Nineveh. 
His prophets were always sent to his covenant people. And now, where does he send his preachers? Throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world. So, what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter, thir- chapter 16, verse 28. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, is that true? Well, but, but Tim, his kingdom isn't here yet. I, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with Jesus. Jesus said, truly, I say unto you. I'm going to say that until it gets through people's heads and hearts, okay? Some standing here which shall not see death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That is not a reference to thousands of years out in the future. That is a reference to the lifetimes of the people who are listening. And you can argue all you want about what you see going around you, and I'm probably going to agree with you as an application of what we see in the Scriptures. But Jesus talked about all things being fulfilled in a particular generation and that his word would not pass away till every jot and tittle was fulfilled. Well, again, I ask you, I ask you, if you're a believer in Christ, Do you continue to perform the ceremonial aspects of the law? If you don't, and you believe they're done away with in Christ, as Colossians says, they were nailed to his cross, okay? The ordinances that were written against us, they they were nailed to his cross. Then you, by definition, should be believing that he fulfilled all the prophecies. He fulfilled all of them. Otherwise, you've got part of his word passing away, and it's not all fulfilled. Don't you get the contradiction there? That's exactly what's going on. So, here's where I want to start today. Yesterday, we took the phrase, end of the world, and we talked about that, okay? So, we talked about uh, the fact that the end of the world When did Christ come and offer himself as a sacrifice? Hebrews 9 tells us it happened in the end of the world or the end of the age. When did Jesus tell his disciples that they were going to see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man? The end of the world. And we broke that down and showed you it was the end of the age, the end of the Anon. It's not the world. It's the end of the age, the Old Covenant age. So today, we're going to look at some passive scripture and some that are that don't contain this, but they they carry the idea because as I was putting this these things together, uh, you know, I, I I don't get revelation from God. Okay, we have revelation; it's the Bible, but we do become enlightened by the Spirit as we go through the Word. Okay, so I want to start here in the Book of Acts, and this first message is preached by Peter. Okay, so let's start here. In verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when, there, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. I mean, this is an amazing thing. That you, you, you've got, apparently, the disciples preaching, giving glory to God in their language, and the people were hearing it in theirs. This is, this is real spiritual gift of tongues, okay? It's not this fake junk that you see on television. It's not a bunch of babble. It's real languages that are being spoken. And God imparts that to his people by his spirit, okay? So here's what he says. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? You know, Galileans are not uh, considered the, the cream of the crop, so to speak. Okay? They're not considered that. And yet they're saying, wait a minute, these people are speaking in different languages. Where do they learn to do this? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? I mean, why are these guys talking in all these languages and we can hear them in our own language and they're speaking the wonderful, what's going on here? And then there's the mockers. So there's the true seekers, okay? What means this? And there's the mockers. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They, they've been just, they're on a drunk early in the morning here. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so notice what he says. This... What's the this? Well, the spirits come on them. They begin to prophesy to the people. They're hearing it in their own language. And he says, this, this thing, is that. Okay, he's not doing application here. He's doing interpretation. There's a difference. When you look to the scriptures and you say, this is that, you're interpreting it. When I go and I say, okay, they want you to have, by the way, get a lot of people to talk about Mark of the Beast. I want to mark it. I've done a show on that. You can listen to that too. What was the Mark of the Beast? I'll tell you uh, in, that, in that show. I can draw application from that. In other words, I can point to hey, you were told you had to wear a mask. You were told you have to take a shot in order to keep your job. 
That is a mark of a beast. It is an application of what we see fulfilled in the scriptures. Okay? That is an application of it. By the way, it's interesting to me that a lot of people are, you know, have all kinds of theories about a coming mark of the beast. And I have to ask you, for most of those people, don't they have a social security number? Mm -hmm. And the government calls it a SIN number. Isn't that interesting? Social security identification number, SIN number. And you usually have to have it to get a job somewhere, don't you? You usually have to have it to get a bank account. You usually have to have it to get all kinds of things, a driver's license, all kinds of stuff. And you never hear them bring that up. You never hear them bring it up. And yet they're, they're walking around with a real number, a sin number at that. Anyway, I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but when, Paul, when Peter says, this is that, he then references Joel. Check it out. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, and that's what that's the phrase we're going to be on today, okay? In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he, he tells them the fulfillment of what the prophets had determined. Now, I'm not going to read all of it uh, because we're going to go over to Joel. and We're going to see what Joel actually says. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So Peter tells them that what they're that what they're um that what they're uh seeing was prophesied by Joel. And I want you to notice something because Joel doesn't say last days. We're going to look at that in a second, but Peter does. And when he when he says about Joel, he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. And then he quotes Joel. So what does Joel say? Well let's go over to Joel uh, chapter 2, and I want to read from the first. We're going to read this because all of it kind of goes together. It's the, it's, the same, it's the same story. It's amazing. It's the same story. So, Joel chapter 2, verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Hmm, the day of the Lord. When is the day of the Lord? Notice the day of the Lord. Well, it comes in the last days. It comes in the last days. 
a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. Remember what Jesus said about him coming in the clouds. Same thing. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Doesn't that sound like Jesus, and I'm just going to click over here real quickly, in Matthew 24, where he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Sounds just like it. Just like it. A fire, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and of horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots, on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stuff. Remember what we read yesterday from Josephus, from Tacitus, from the other uh, writers in the, I think it was the second, third, fourth, fourth um, uh, century? Yeah. Same thing. And I ask you, where does your mind go? I'll tell you where mine goes. Mine goes to 2 Thessalonians. He's coming in flaming fire to, fire to execute judgment upon those who don't obey the gospel. My mind goes to Revelation 19. I mean, that's where it goes to. That is the imagery that's there. And as far as I'm concerned, every time that's referenced in the New Testament, this last days, this end of the world, these things, what we're seeing is he's talking about this. He's not talking about two different things. He's talking about the same thing. The closing out of the old covenant. It's the last days of the old covenant world. We are in the new covenant. And so when you close out the last days of the old covenant, what do you come to? The new days of the new covenant or the first days of the new covenant. Okay. So he tells them, he says, like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array, before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness, they shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. All of that sounds just like what you read in uh, Josephus's works, where he talks about what's going on in, uh, in the destruction of in the siege of Jerusalem. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Again, just like the words of the Lord Jesus. And when did Jesus say all those things were going to happen? Did he say they were going to happen out in our future? Nope. He said it was going to happen in that generation. It was all going to be fulfilled. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, who can abide it? Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments. Oh, 
you know, the rending of the garments was was that that sign either one of disgust or of repentance. You you remember uh, they did that to Jesus. They they rend their garments when he said who he was. Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn into the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kind. Man, if you can get this, how long did God put up with the rebellion of the people in the Old Covenant? Hundreds of years he put up with their complaining and their rebelliousness and their adulteries and they're going after other gods and their sins, just piling up and piling. The, the prophets he would send to them, they would kill them, they would stone them, they would imprison them, they would do terrible things to them. And he had put up with it all this time. And then he sent him his son, and they killed him, and he said, that's it. That's it. I'm not putting up with you people anymore. But, He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. And here's where we start to get down into where uh, Peter is is quoting. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? What's interesting is the Bible says that uh, God will give Christ the heathen for his inheritance. Yeah, that was that was people like me and you, probably, if you're listening. We were the heathen, and now we've been given to Christ as an inheritance. We become his people. You want to know who God's chosen people are? You find people that love Jesus and they want to submit to him and they want to obey him. That's where you'll find his people. It's not some group that call themselves Jews. That's nonsense. Those people are antichrist. Just look at the doctrine they hold and read First and Second John. And you'll see it. They're not God's chosen people. They're antichrist. They're deceived and they're deceiving others. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land. And pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things, and he will, and he did. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. I mean, these are the very things that are coming in Acts chapter 2. This is the good news. The Christ that you people put to death, God has made him 
Christ and, and Lord. The Jesus you put him to death, he has made him Christ and Lord, or he's made him king. He's the one of Psalm 2 that's been set on the holy hill of Zion. So he says, And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore you to the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. And then it says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall, dream, shall see visions. So notice what he says. And it shall come to pass afterward. Now, how does Peter see that? Well, Peter comes over and he says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. You see that? And then he quotes Joel. And, here, and again, this is what Joel says. He says the same things that Peter says here. And remember, this is, this is an amazing thing because what have we seen from Peter? Matthew 16, Matthew 17. Peter has been at, he's just, he's opened up his mouth and he put both feet in. At, at every occasion, that's what he did. It didn't matter what he was talking about. He was continually putting his foot in his mouth. And now he's filled with the Spirit the scriptures have been opened, Luke 24 to him, to where he understands Moses and the prophets and the Psalms all speak of Christ. That's what Jesus told them after the resurrection. Now his understanding's open and he's getting up and he's delivering this sermon. This fisherman who had stuck both feet in his mouth plenty of times, who had denied the Lord three times. And even after that, and even after seeing him resurrected, he said, eh, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> and Jesus has to go get him out there while he's fishing and tell him what his life's going to be like. You're going to do what you want to now, but there's coming a time when you get older, somebody's going to bind you. They're going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And the Bible says it was speaking of his death. But yet he stands up and he quotes the prophet Joel and he says, this is that. And Joel continues, and upon and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. I mean, this is, this is pretty incredible. When you stop and think about what it was that uh, he was doing, that what Peter was doing by taking the Scripture, and you can see his incompetence, in the matter beforehand. That's why he was sticking his feet in his mouth, right? 
But you see him stand up now and he gives this powerful message where thousands of people are converted. (laughs) That's incredible. And he recounts the history of Israel and he presents Jesus as both Christ and Lord or master to the people. And when they realize it, the Bible says they're cut to the heart, they're, they're pricked in their hearts, and they go, what do we got to do to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Repent, the changing of the mind, the baptism. You, you need to have, I mean, in those days when you were baptized, you were showing who you were, you were baptized into a name, and that was showing who your master was. Okay? So they did that. But this is coming from Peter. This this guy who has this this problem of of foot and mouth disease, okay? All right. So I I probably have this out of the way, but this is or out of out of out of not out of context, out of sync of what I was going to do, but I, I want to read a couple of these passages and just kind of make some points about it. This is another reference to last days. This comes from Isaiah chapter 2. Beginning of verse 1, it says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days. And again, what is the last days a reference to? It's the last days of the Old Covenant. It's the close out of that. This goes all the way back to Genesis, by the way. We're going to see this in a minute. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. Was it established in the last days? Yes, it was. In the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow in or flow unto it. Do all nations flow unto the house of the Lord? Yes, they do. The book of Revelation speaks of a song that sang a praise to the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, for he hath redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That is the nations. And they flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. It's not a new law, it's the old law. It's the same law that's always been in existence. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then it says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning. Well, see, Tim, not everybody's doing that. Well, he doesn't say everybody would do it. He doesn't say that. And he goes, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Out of the house of Jacob come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So there is something that goes on in these last days, which God says there's going to be this set up. Yes, I'm just seeing a comment here. Yes, of course, application can be drawn from uh, the Old Testament. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, these things are written to us. And he's talking about the things written in the Old Testament. And I got some guy who comes in and says, there wasn't an Old Testament. I don't know where that guy is. All the books of the Old Testament were put up in the temple. That's how we know what was in the Old Testament. And that's how 
uh, by the way, uh, in Rome, when they were putting the cannon together or the measuring rod, the measuring stick, which we call the the word of God, the old the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, when they were doing that, it wasn't a bunch of Roman pagans. It was it had been persecuted bishops that were that were putting those things together. They knew what was authoritative. They knew what the church embraced as authoritative as the word of God. They knew that. And so yeah, we draw application from the Old Testament. I mean, what do we think Paul is referencing when he says that the word of, uh, the word of God is powerful? What what do we think when he says that it's inspired, that it's profitable? What is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament still being written. So yeah, that's that's right. We can draw application even though we see fulfillment. Okay, so that's a good question though. Um, so therefore, back to Isaiah 2, therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they uh, replenish from the east and their soothsayers like the Philistines and they please themselves as children and he goes on and on. But notice this is all happening when? In the last days. Okay? They are not in our future. They are in our past. It's the last days of the old covenant world, the old covenant age. Okay? Now, he says he'll judge among the nations. Now, I'm, I'm just going to give a short sidetrack. We're going to go over to 1 Corinthians 11, because some people are going, well, how is he judging the nations? Well, Sometimes he judges the nations by simply letting them go in their sin. Read Romans 1. That's what he did with Jerusalem, for sure. That's what he did with Rome. He let them go in it, too. And the people would destroy themselves if God just takes his hand off of them and says, shuts the door on them and leaves them outside. See, you don't even need the devil here. You don't need him. You don't need demons. you got enough flesh that will tempt you all day long. And why do people do the wicked things that they do? Well, James tells us we're enticed by sin and we are in temptation and we give into that and that becomes sin. And when sin's full grown, what does it bring forth? Death. Read James chapter one. You'll see that. This is um, Paul correcting the Corinthians. And I'm just going to throw this in. This doesn't have last days, but it has to do with even other judgments of how God judges in the nations. He does so through his people, through his assembly, his ecclesia, his church. Okay, his called out ones. This is how he does it. And he talks to them about the Lord's Supper. And I, I don't understand why people think this is about Jesus' physical body and such. I, I don't understand that because I think the context is clear. Before um, <clears throat> let me give you just a little interlude here uh, before we get to where he says that. He chastises them for their perceived greediness. Okay? Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better. This is, uh, if you're following along in your Bible on the radio, it's 1 Corinthians 11 beginning at verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. 
When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And by the way, we've relegated the Lord's Supper down to this little piece of you know, bread or cookie or whatever they, whatever they bake or whatever, and this little trinket of grape juice. Um, it's, I, we've just kind of carried that on. They had love feasts. It was a potluck. That's what they did. They brought together to make sure everybody was taken care of. And then out of that, they remembered the Lord's table. Okay. But he says this, look how he chastises them. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? I mean, they're bringing their potluck, and they're eating it all, and they're drinking it all, and they're leaving the poor in the assembly to not have anything. Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? You know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to eat and drink, if, if that's what this is all about, not show love for the body... Do it at home. Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And then he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak. Now keep that in mind. For many, this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For, it would, for if we would judge ourselves... We should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Who does the Lord chasten? Those he loves, right? And who are those he loves? The one who, for whom Christ died. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. He's right back to this issue of you're not caring for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that, he, that ye come not together in, unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. And then after this, he's talking about the body again, the gifts of the body and how it's being abused in the church of Corinth. So what is he saying here? What is the discerning of the Lord's body? Is it trying to figure out the physical body and, and the blood of Christ? Is it trying to figure out you know, what the cup and the... We, we know that, that. We already know what that is. He's telling them, you aren't discerning that your brothers around you, that you're pushing off and you're not feeding them and you're, you're getting drunk on your own wine and you're engorging yourself with your own food and you're not giving to your brother. You're not caring for the Lord's body. You don't discern what the Lord's body is. We are his hands and feet here on the earth. 
You want judgment? You hear it on the Sons of Liberty all the time. The people are going to have to bring justice. You want justice? Guess what? It has to come through the body. It has to come through the body. That's a sidetrack, I know, but it just hit me today when I was putting these things together because I, I've seen that for some time. Now, Micah chapter 4 says almost identically what Isaiah chapter 2 says. And let me just read this. This is Micah chapter 4. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, do you think he's talking about a literal mountain in Jerusalem? That's not what he's talking about, and I'm going to show you that in just a second. And to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. How is he doing that? He's doing that through his church, who are in his kingdom. And guess what? So are those nations. The nations of, of the world have become, uh, nations in the kingdom have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. There is no nation out from under the law of God. Whether they acknowledge it or not is irrelevant. The issue is they are under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And when they rebel, they are judged. Plain and simple. There's a whole history. We have a whole history of 2,000 years of where they've been judged. We've seen it over and over and over and over. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. All right? So, What's this, what's this mountain? What is this thing that he's talking about? I think Paul elaborates on this in the book of Galatians. And we've been through Galatians plenty of times. One, one of my favorite books, actually. But if you'll notice, Paul lays out here the issue of freedom here versus bondage. Okay? And he says this, For it is written, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. When things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is a, which Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So that the, 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 the bondwoman, Sarai's uh, handmaid, whom she gave to Abraham to help him kind of, you know, fulfill the promise. <laughs> I can't imagine a wife doing that, but, but she did it. She's considered to be Mount Sinai. Now, what did Mount Sinai offer? Thunder and lightning and dark clouds and all of this other. And it was just law. Obey the law. Okay. There were threatenings, the bondage of that. 
And that is, as the as he says in Galatians, he says the law is to drive us to Christ. Okay? But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Now, something to think about that. Those of you familiar with, we've had the questions asked about Revelation, what do you hear there? What's the Jerusalem above? Yeah, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. John sees it, right? It's got all the foundations, the gates are pearls, and the streets are gold and all this stuff, right? And it's like a big cube. That's, that's how he, he lays it out. He says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Christ has set us free. If the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed, right? This is the, I mean, these are the fulfillments of what he says in Isaiah and what he says in Malachi, or excuse me, Micah. That's what he has there. This one is often a, a real twisted one. Second Peter chapter 3. And for those of you listening by Red State Talk Radio, I may read this and the music comes up. So if you want to finish with us today and what we're going to talk about, I got a bunch. I don't even know if I'm going to finish today. We may have to make part two tomorrow. But if you want to do that, sonsoflibertymedia.com, beforeitsnews.com, or jump on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the, the, the channel there. All right. So this is Second Peter chapter 3. And again, pronouns and such mean things. And I'm going to go a little further than where I want to go here on last day stuff but in this chapter. But notice what he says. This second epistle... Now, remember, he's just, he's just written in chapter 2 about the false teachers and the false prophets who are to come, and Jude follows him up and says they're here. Peter says they're coming. He says they're here. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. We're going to finish on the other side of this. I don't know if Bradley will be with you at three, but we'll have an educational video up sonsoflibertymedia.com, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. Okay, I want to welcome anybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio, and let's go back into Second Peter chapter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? We've been hearing you guys preach about his coming in the kingdom for a long time. Now remember, when did Jesus say he was coming? But when did he say he was coming? In that generation. Matthew 24. Just let me, let me just remind, uh, because I know people will jump in at different times and they're not going to get this. 
But if you remember, we come, we read, and I'm not going to read all of it, but we came down through Matthew 24. And what does Jesus say? Verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation, he's not talking about a people group or an ethnicity. He's talking about the people living at that time. This generation shall not pass till how many of these things be fulfilled? A part of them, some of them, till all these things be fulfilled. Now listen, if you say that didn't happen, I don't know how to say it in a nice way. You're making Jesus a liar. You're just making him a liar. And he continues on with what would happen. He tells them, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. He talks about the days of Noah. And he basically, he doesn't go outside and talk about you know weird stuff like I said before. What he talks about is it's just the day goes on for people. Just like we're eating, drinking, being, and being married. Right? Until the day the flood came, when judgment came. And he goes on, and he, he talks about these, these kinds of things. Let me back up. I, I got ahead of myself here. What, what are these things that shall pass? Or that the generation won't pass till all these things be fulfilled? Well, notice what he says. Immediately after the tribulation, and by the way, if you back up a little bit, you'll see there'll be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world. No, nor ever shall be. When did that happen? That happened among his covenant people who broke the covenant. I mean, they got the wrath of God poured out without mixture. It wasn't diluted. They got it. Like no people on the face of the earth ever have gotten it. Even the flood. Even in the flood. But he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. That sounds like Joel 2, doesn't it? That sounds like Acts chapter 2 and Peter's message there. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth. He's not talking about all over the world. He, if you really want to understand, if it helps, the term earth there, if you look it up, you can see that it's land. The tribes of the land mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, Jesus says that happens in that generation. All these things, all what things? The things he said before. I have to keep reiterating that because people want to kick against the goads or the pricks. They want to kick against them and say, no, it doesn't really mean that. I'm telling you, Jesus meant what he said and he said what he meant, and it's right there. These things happened to that generation. Okay? Back to Second Peter. That ye may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, can you imagine somebody in Peter's time saying something that ignorant? And they are ignorant. In fact, Peter says that. For this they willingly are ignorant of 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And then he says this, But beloved, but beloved. Now, who's Peter writing to? He's writing to the church, right? Go back to the first chapter of the book. You'll see who he's writing to. He's writing to the saints. And he calls them here. Now he says, these are these guys. This is what the mockers are. But beloved. So he changes who he's talking to. Uh, as far as what's happening here in this, in this context. Be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And I hear people throwing that at me all the time. And when I reverse it on them with their theology, they don't want to hear that. And a thousand years is one day. In other words, he's saying time doesn't matter to God. It's not, he doesn't live in that construct. Now, he deals with us in time. That's true. He does deal with us in time. But he doesn't live in it. And he says this, and notice the pronouns that he uses here. This is very important. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us-word. Not towards everyone, not towards the mockers, not towards the false teachers of chapter 2, towards us. Towards us-word. Not willing that any should perish. Well, wait a minute. If he's long-suffering towards us and not to the false teachers and not to the mockers, who is this that he's, will he's not willing that any should perish? None of us. But that all should come to repentance. He is patient bringing in his people. He's the one who grants repentance. Paul tells us that. He grants repentance to his people. And so he's long-suffering. Why hasn't he come? Because he's long-suffering. He hasn't gathered in those last sheep yet. He's long-suffering. And is there an application for today? Yeah, just like there was in the first century. He was long-suffering and didn't destroy Judea and Jerusalem until all of them were gathered in. Is there an application for us today? Yep, he's long-suffering towards us, those who are his people, that we should all come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And again, we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this yesterday. I think we mentioned it yesterday, and we've talked about it before. But the idea of what he's given here is this is the picture of judgment here. The passing away of the old world, the old covenant world, and now the introduction of the new heavens and new earth, the new world of the new covenant. you, you got to understand how serious this is. How many hundreds of years had Israel lived in this old covenant system? Every genera subsequent generation grew up in that. That's all they knew. And now all of a sudden, you're saying the Messiah's come and all... The temple's going to be done away with, and the sacrifices are done, and the priests are done away with. What? I mean, again, you can see their world literally coming down around their ears. And so this is why the apostles had to go out, and they preached this message to help them understand. 
I think the miracles abounded to help them understand this is the word of the Lord. This is what he's done. Okay? And again, remember, Peter says, these mockers come in the last days. Does Peter have a different last days than Jesus and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, and the prophets? No, they're all talking about the same last days. We come over into Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And beginning at chapter 1, again, the writer of Hebrews is there. His whole argument is how Christ is superior to everything in the Old Testament, be it the patriarchs, the temple sacrificial system, the priests, uh, any of that stuff. Anything you find in the Old Testament, Christ is superior to it, or he's the fulfillment of it, which makes him superior to it. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, look at what he says. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. I love that. I love that. Just a side note, you, know, you ever heard of these guys where they talk about how, you know, we're made up of atoms and all this stuff? Yeah, I don't know if we're, I don't, I don't know all that stuff. I'm hearing what these guys say. We're made up of atoms and they're, you know, charged and this, that, and the other. And they're really trying to push each other apart, but somehow they're being held together. Yeah, they're being held by the, together by the word of the power of the Son of God. Whew. I don't know what that does to you, but that, that is an amazing thing. That things that should be coming apart. I think Isaiah uses that kind of terminology when he sees the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. He says, I'm disintegrating. I'm coming apart. What's he held together by? The word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins. When did he do that? In the last days. (laughs) I mean... This is so clear. The, the, I'm telling you, the key to understanding this is to understand the time. That, that's the key. And when you understand that, the scriptures start to open up like they've never opened up before. They really do. He had by himself purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What is that? He's sitting in his throne. We're going to see that in just a little bit being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When did that happen? Last days. I could take, and we could go to Hebrews 9 again. When did Christ do this? At the end of the world. We went over that yesterday. That's what the text says. I didn't make it up. It's right there in the text. And you can call me what you want. You can call me all kinds of names, and you can... Persecute me all you want to, whatever. All I did was read the text. And I'm telling you, where we are in error, and we think Scripture says something else other than what it says, we are responsible to conform to the Scriptures, not the Scriptures to us. We have the duty to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Now, God's doing it, but it is our responsibility to conform to his words. 
which would conform us to the image of Christ. And so when he says this is when the last days are, he says when the end of the world is, we better change our binoculars, our, our, our language to conform with what he says so we don't deceive other people about when those things are. This is why I'm laying a foundation. I know it's tedious. I know it's, uh, and, and for some people, it's, it's even boring for some people. But I'm telling you, if you see this, it's exciting. It's not boring at all. And so I'm, I'm kind of laying a foundation of what I perceive we need to do. And the reason I do that, I'll, I'll tell you real simple, is this. I learn a certain way. You may learn a different way. I don't know. But I know how I learn. And if I've hit a speed bump in understanding something, I press on it until I get over the bump, till I get an answer. And when I do, I hold fast to that. Okay? And I remember what the speed bump was that I was up against. I remember reading the arguments of people who had that. I remember going through the scriptures to see what the answer to it was. And I remember what turned the light on for me. Now, obviously, it's the Spirit of God, but I remember something that was said, a passage of Scripture that was brought out that helped me understand. That's why I do what I do the way I do it. Um, so I thank you for bearing with me, but I wanted I want to take each one of these because we have to conform to this. We have to conform to what the Bible says, right? Either it's authoritative or it's not authoritative. And if it's not authoritative, then we don't need to be doing this show anymore. Because all I'm blowing is hot air. It's authoritative. It speaks the truth. If we will just hear it, you know, I'm going I'm to get to that in just a minute. Here's another passage. This is straight out of the first book, Genesis. Now, Genesis is simply genealogies, right? You read the genealogies of the men in the Old Testament. There in the book of Genesis, you see who the dad was. He, he lived so long and he had a son, and then he lived so long and he, he died. And then that son lived so long and he had a son, and then he lived the rest of his days and he died. And then that son, it's on and on. And it's showing you the line of men. And no, there was no men before Adam and Eve. There weren't. It's nowhere in the scriptures. You have to go outside the scriptures to get that. The Bible's clear. Man in his own image, male and female, not males and females, male and female, created he them. Who were they? Adam and Eve. Pretty simple. Well, who, who did, who did Cain? I'm not here to answer all that. There's, I mean, Adam lived 900 and something years. We're not told when the Cain and Abel situation happened. I mean, that could have been 100, 200 years down the road. I don't know. And you don't think there were all kinds of offspring out that that got away from real tight family knit there? Yeah. That's not a hard thing to understand. But I'm not here to answer that because the Bible doesn't really tell us. It just says he had a wife. Nevertheless, you go back to Genesis, and in Genesis 49, here's what you see. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. In the last days. Now, I want to ask you something. When Jacob calls his sons, who are his sons? His sons are 
the men who represent and the tribes of Israel bear their names. So who is he really talking about that's gonna, that what's going to befall them in the last days? Well, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the old covenant people of God. This is going to befall you in the last days. When did that happen? We've been over it for several shows in that generation that Jesus promised it would come to. So here it is. He says, this is going to befall you in the last days. And then he takes each one and he walks them through what's going to happen to them. That's Genesis chapter 49. Another place that we find, um, it's, it's a derivative of it. Last time, not last days, but last time. First John chapter 2. And, and again, I want to make sure that people understand something. <clears throat> the only place, and, and I see people doing it all the time, they want to pin the tail on the Antichrist, okay? But the term Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation not one time. It's not found in any of the Gospels one time. It's not found in the Old Testament one time. It's not found in any of the epistles of Paul, Peter, Jude. Am I leaving out somebody? James, the writer of Hebrews. It's not found anywhere except in First and Second John. And in First John, I probably should back up, but let me just read this one. Little children, it is the last time. Not way off 2,000 years in the It's the last time now. And as ye have heard, you've heard that Antichrist shall come. Now, I don't know where they're hearing it because it's not really in the other passages. Now, I know some people try to make it son of perdition uh, out of 2 Thessalonians 2 and all this other stuff. But the fact of the matter is, he says you've heard it. He doesn't elaborate on it at all. What he says is, even now are there many antichrists. And this is what he stays on the whole time. He doesn't deal with this, what you've heard. He tells them what an antichrist is. Whereby you know that it is the last time. Okay? So he's very clear. And if you keep going through John, you'll see him. Uh, I think the word antichrist appears like five times. Between first and second John, it's only once in second John. And he basically tells you if somebody comes and they hold a doctrine that Jesus has not come in the flesh, and I'll tell you, I, I, I used to think it was just, it was God in the flesh, but I think there's a ramification of that he, he came in the flesh to accomplish what he was going to accomplish. If they're not holding to that, they're Antichrist. This is why you can get the Jew who will say, we don't believe Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't establish his kingdom. And I was listening to a guy yesterday, and he played this Jewish guy telling the reasons why he didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't establish the kingdom. He didn't rebuild the temple. All the stuff that the futurists tell us is going to happen in the, in the future. This is why I say it's, a, it, and I didn't, I didn't make this up myself. But my friend Charlie brought that up, and he said, this is a Jew's religion. You're still looking for the coming Messiah. You acknowledge it with your lips. You acknowledge him as king, but you're still looking for him to do what he's already done. 
So he says these antichrists are there and they know that it's the last time because they are antichrists there. Okay? James. The book of James also mentions the last days. James chapter 5. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches, remember, James is the head of the elders in Jerusalem. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Again, are these different last days than John's talking about, than the writer of Hebrews talking about, than Peter's talking about, than Paul's talking about? Is these different from the last days that the Old Testament prophets are talking about? Are these different last days than Jesus talked about? Nope. Same thing. Their money would not save them. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, it's canker. Again, this goes, I, I tell you, the things that this opens up, when, again, when Jesus, and we've talked about lawless money, when Jesus says you're either going to serve God or mammon, your, your money, your riches, the things of this world that you can accumulate, you know, the old saying, the one with the most toys wins. No, the one with the most toys is most likely going to lose. That's not necessarily the case every time, but usually that's what it is. We saw it in the parable of the sower. The, the riches and the cares of this life and all that choke out the word, don't they? Yeah, they don't bring any fruit. So James says, in the last days, you're storing up judgment for yourself while you're holding on to your gold and your silver and your riches. When the Bible talks about Jesus coming, we read it in Isaiah chapter 2, we read it in Micah 2 as well, and he's going to judge the nations. This is a passage, I want you to stop and think, this is a passage where people talk about, well, this is talking about two different comings. I don't see this at all. But we usually sit around the time where people want to remember the birth of Christ. Okay. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And listen to this, and of the increase, the expansion, the abundance of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with a judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Think about that a second. People, look, people like Jesus as a little baby, don't they? Some people think he's still a little baby. People like Jesus as a suffering servant. He's no threat to them. 
People like the thought that Jesus isn't really king. I mean, he's king, but he's not king. He's, but he's king, but he's not. You know, this vacillating back and forth, this double-mindedness. They like that. Why? Because there's no threat to them. It's somewhere out in the future. I'm here to tell you, this baby that was born became king. He sits on the throne, and I'm going to show you that in a second. And he judges the nations with a rod of iron. He's been doing it since that time he ascended back to the Father. I'm going to have to move fast. I didn't realize we're already almost 30 minutes into this. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. I'm just going to read these. I know there's other things. I'm going to get to those things later, okay? Because I know people are going to have questions about that. But I'm just going to stick with this right now. And then I'm going to come back and we'll later on, I promise you, we'll go through it and I'll, I'll expound a little bit more on these. Here's verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign, and Paul's writing this in the first century, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. See, Jesus was reigning in the first century there. He took on his coronation at his ascension. How do we know? Look, the ascension is an important doctrine. Why? Because Jesus promised his disciples something. He said, it is necessary that I go, for if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. The paraclete, the one, he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And it's necessary that I go to the Father. How do we know that Jesus didn't get, you know, caught by the angels going up into the clouds? The, the demons or whatever, how do we know any of that? Because, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came and he filled the people and they had cloven tongues and they spoke the glory of God. Wow. And the people were amazed. Why? Because they heard it in their own language and they were baffled because they were Galileans. These were unlearned men. And yet they're talking in these languages. They weren't talking in the language. They were, they were talking with theirs and the Spirit of God was helping them to hear exactly what the truth was that they were saying. Well, I don't, I don't believe Jesus is really ruling and reigning over the nations and doing all this stuff now, Tim. I mean, come on. That's a little far-fetched. Look, look around you. Friend, you're looking with, with eyes. You're looking with, you don't see through the eyes of faith of what Christ is doing. And it might be, it, not necessarily, it might be because you don't have eyes to see. It might be that you have eyes to see, but you've been taught wrong and you just need to correct the error. I've had that. There's no shame in that, in correcting the error. That's a good thing. That's what God looks for, right? He looks for our repentance. Repentance, change of mind. Go look it up. That's what it means. A change of mind. And the change of mind produces a change of actions, of words, of deeds. So let's go to Revelation. <laughs> you guys want to go to Revelation? I'm going to give you a couple of passages out here. This is Revelation chapter 2, and listen to what's going on. This is to the church at Thyatira, verse 18. 
And unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath, eye, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. Now you remember Jezebel, she was the wicked wife of King Ahab, right? She was the one who put up the prophets of Baal, and Elijah showed them up by showing who the true God was, right? He was the one who came down and consumed the sacrifice. And once he had done that, what did they do with the prophets of Baal? Did they throw them in jail? Did they find them? Did they ridicule them? Did they just mark them out and kind of cast them? No, they took them down to the river and they killed them. Because that's what God's law says. And I'm going to tell you something. Let me just kick this off here. I have people all the time who will come in and they'll tell me, oh, God's law? Oh, you, you, you would put to death somebody who... Who cheated on their wife? What does God say about it? I didn't come up with it. Do I want to do that? No, I, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. But God is the one who gave the command. He gave the law and he gave the punishment. Both of them are just. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with the God you say you serve. You do. You just do. Or we supposed to put these other people to death, the sodomites, those you know, engaged in sodomy, those engaged in bestiality, those engaged in all these other capital crimes. There's about 12 of them in the Old Testament. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with the God of Scripture. Even Jesus said, if you dishonor your mother and father, you're worthy of, you should be put to death. Paul says it in Romans 1, knowing the justice of God. That not only the people who are doing the things are worthy of death, but those who take pleasure and push them and promote them. Look, you may not be in, you may not be a, a transdelusional transgressor. I'm going to use Ben Davis's word there. A transdelusional transgressor. You may not be one, but if you approve of it, you're worthy of the same thing. And you need to repent. You may not be a sodomite or lesbian, but if you approve of it, you're worthy of the same thing. You may not be a murderer, but if you approve of it, you're worthy of the same thing. Now, he comes here and he calls this woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. And I'm not, I don't necessarily think he's talking about actual fornication. He may be. That may be in a part of what was going on. But I think, you know, when you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see that Israel played the harlot. There was a sexual connotation because of the intimacy she had with her husband, God. Okay? Yahweh. And the same thing's true with the church and Christ. We're his bride. What happens when we are unfaithful? Are we committing adultery? Are we committing those things? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So he says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. There it is again. Great tribulation. One of many reasons why I, I believe the book of Revelation was written before the destruction of Jerusalem. Because I think it's consistent with the rest of Scripture. I don't think it just it's an appendage stuck on. I think it's the completion of the Old Testament. I believe it's John's Olivet Discourse. He's the only gospel writer who doesn't have one. You can find the others in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Can't find one in John. 
And so he goes on and he says this, except they repent of their deeds, I'm going to, you know, she's going into great tribulation. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth, searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast to, or hold fast till I come. And notice what he says. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He's making that promise to those in Thyatira. If you overcome, I'll give you power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. He's saying, I already got the rod of iron. I'm going to share it here with those who are overcomers. And how do they overcome? Well, we read that later on. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Revelation chapter 3, the very next chapter. This is, <clears throat> this is to the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And he says, verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Jesus isn't waiting to sit on a throne. He's already on the throne of David. He's ruling and reigning now, even as he was back then. I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, do you have ears to hear? Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I'm not making stuff up. I'm, this is in the Scripture. This is what it says. Tim, you're jumping all over the place. Yep, but I'm staying in the context, and we're talking about a particular issue, and that's the last days. What does the Scripture say about the last days? And that's where we've stuck with. So we haven't went out anywhere else except this. Another place where there's judging, and this ties with the last days, even though last days isn't mentioned, you'll see what, what we stressed in Matthew 24. If, you haven't, if you're having a little hard time following, don't get discouraged. Don't get upset. Go back and watch the first one. It was called Abomination of Desolation, Doing Away with the Old to Establish the New. Okay, Start with that one, then jump. If you're on the Rumble channel, uh, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, jump every it should be about every other one because bradley has his the afternoon show goes and then my morning and then his afternoon so you have to kind of jump up but you'll see from the titles which one they are just follow them and you'll get the you'll get the basis for it from matthew 24 okay this is from uh matthew chapter 19 and notice what is said Verse 27, or excuse me, yeah, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all. This is after Jesus had just confronted the rich guy, or he, he spoke about the rich man, it, it hard for him to enter the kingdom of God. And he's got all this stuff. And so Peter says unto him, Behold, we've forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration. Okay, now let me show you this word. Real quickly, it is palingenesia. 
It means it's translated over here as renewal of all things, a new birth, regeneration, renewal, um, spiritual renovation, especially messianic restoration. Messianic restoration. And if you remember right, Jesus told them, kingdom of heaven doesn't come with observation. It's not something you see like you think you should see a kingdom. It's in you. It's in you. Verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Truly I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, okay, in the regeneration, when does that happen? When is this messianic restoration? When is this new heavens and new earth coming? Because that's what it is. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Mm, did we just read that? In the passage in Revelation in Corinthians? Yep, we sure did. Didn't we read the, pro uh, the prophecies about that in Isaiah and Micah? Yep, we sure did. When did Jesus say that was going to happen? In that generation. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I have a question for you. He said, <laughs> these guys following him, we're going to have 12 thrones, and then we're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Did they do that? Jesus said they did, or they would. Did they do it? Yep. They sure did. They bore witness against Jerusalem and Israel for their adulteries and their crimes against God and against his law and the breaking of his covenant. That's why they no longer exist. Well, but Tim, there's a, there's a geopolitical Israel out here and God's chosen people in there. You've been deceived if you think that. You really have. I suggest reading the book of Galatians. It cannot be more clear who the children of Abraham are than that. And the children of Abraham are those who have the faith of Abraham. And that is in the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a person who says, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Jesus isn't king. Jesus didn't set up a kingdom. Jesus didn't do what the prophet said he would do, what the Messiah would, said he would do. In the, and, and by the way, I always have to remind him, Daniel gives a time frame. If Jesus didn't do it, nobody's going to do it. Because Daniel said it's going to happen in a certain time. 490 years from the start of when the temple and the city was to be rebuilt. That time's passed. If you're a Jew listening, you call yourself a Jew. Let me put it that way. You call yourself a Jew, but the scriptures say that you're not one. Paul says the true Jew is circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. Circumcision was a picture or a type. Now it was a, it was a sign of the covenant, and there's no question about that, but it was a it was a it was a picture to show you need to have your heart circumcised. Circumcising your flesh does nothing for you spiritually. It doesn't. You need to have your heart circumcised. That 
is the true Jew. And the only ones who have their heart circumcised are those whom the Spirit of God has circumcised their heart, has raised them to newness of life, and they submit themselves to Jesus the King. That's it. That's the only ones who are Jews, who are real Jews. Everybody else are imposters. And if you're mad about that, take it up with the Lord. It's his scriptures. I didn't do it. I didn't write it. And that's not to be mean to people. It's to help you understand. Let's look at something else. I only got just a couple more, so I'm just going to stay with it. If we go up to the top of the hour, we'll go to the top of the hour. <laughs> oh. Zechariah 6, beginning verse 11. Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place. Who's the branch? Mm-hmm. Same God we've been talking about. The Lord Jesus, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest unto upon his throne. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Old Testament, kings were over here, priests were over here, right? And any time the kings, like, like Saul or others, they wanted to go try to do the priest thing, offering sacrifices, doing it, that was a no-no. You didn't do that. But this king, <laughs> this king, he shall be a priest on, upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Jesus is not only a prophet. I, I, I hear Muslims tell me, I believe in Jesus. He was a great prophet, but he was second to Muhammad. You don't believe in the same Jesus then. You believe in a different Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Scriptures, is a prophet. But he's a priest. The only priest. The only mediator between God and man. And you will go to the Father through, not through Muhammad, not with Allah, not finding your inner self, not through the mass, not through your chanting or your going into nothingness, you will only go to the Father through the Son. And he, the Hebrew says that he lives, oh, he lives to make intercession for us always. Christ is king, and he is priest, and he was a prophet, but he's king and he's priest all together, interceding for us now, and ruling and reigning in his throne. And let me tell you something. He brings peace to his people. He brings people, peace to his people. His people don't want war. His people want peace. They want the blessings of God. They don't want the curses. This is what this king does. I've got uh, two more passages. We'll do one. One I want to read. I do want to read this because wow, it's powerful. This is the only commentary I'm going to read here. This is from Matthew Henry. I'm going to have to move my mic here just a tad so I can see it. So hope it doesn't mess up the voice here. But 
I'm gonna do it just so I can read it because it's really tiny writing. If I show it to you on the screen, see it's gonna be real tiny like that. So let me just read it to you. This is from Matthew Henry. This is a comment commentary on Zechariah. Some Jews from Babylon brought an offering to the house of God. Those who cannot forward a good work by their persons must, as they are able, forward it by their per, by, by their purses. If some fine hands, let others fill them. Crowns are to be made, and upon the head of Joshua, the sign was used to make the promise more noticed that God's that God will, in the fullness of time. That's an interesting phrase too. Uh, because there was a time for, like I said, for, for Daniel, there was a time frame in which the Messiah was come. Uh, he says, God sent his son right into the world, born under the law. So he says, in the fullness of time, raise up a great high priest like Joshua, who is but the figure of one that is to come. Christ is not only the foundation, but the founder of this temple by his spirit and grace. Glory is a burden, but not too heavy for him to bear who upholds all things. The cross was his glory, and he bore that. So is the crown an exceeding weight of glory, and he bears that. The council of peace should be between the priest and the throne, between the priestly and kingly offices of Jesus Christ. The peace and welfare of the gospel church and of all believers shall be wrought, though not by two several persons, yet by two several offices meeting in one Christ, purchasing all peace by his priesthood, maintaining and defending it by his kingdom. Mm. The crowns used in this solemnity must be kept in the temple as evidence of this promise of the Messiah. Let us not think of separating what God had joined in his council of peace. We cannot come to God by Christ as our priest if we refuse. Listen to this. We cannot come to God by Christ as priest if we refuse to have him rule over us as king. Amen. We have no real ground to think our peace is made with God unless we are trying to keep his commandments. And people want to do away with the law. Read the and people want to do away with the law, but they want you to read the book of Revelation like it's for today, like a Hal Lindsey thing. Oh, there's Apache helicopters in there and there's tanks and all they want to do that. But they want to cast away the law. And what does it say in there? Those who keep the commandments of Jesus. That's the law. That's a, I, I got to tell you, that is a powerful thing. Because I remember when I came, when I was born again, I knew something had happened to me. And I didn't know how to put it into words. I just said, something has changed. I don't know what it is. I don't even know how it happened. I mean, I can tell you all the things that went up. And now I look in the scripture and I go, God said, live, Tim. Live. Come forth. Whew. Has he done that for you? Has he done that for you? He did it for me. Why do I preach this message? I'm hoping he'll do it for you if you haven't had it done. God, who's rich in mercy, has made us alive. And I want you to notice something. Two little passages. Let me hit this one first, okay? And then we'll close out with one from Revelation. Make everybody happy. We'll go to the book of Revelation, okay? <laughs> uh, this is from Daniel chapter 12. Notice what we see. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, 
And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Know what he said. Seal up the book till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, I, I have heard the modern-day Bible prophecy guys go, See, we're having knowledge increase. Look at the technology. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about the knowledge of what's in that book. It's going to be sealed up. The things that Daniel wrote are sealed up at the time Daniel writes them. And then God said, there's going to be people running to and fro. Knowledge is going to be increased. And when does that happen? What did we see? Verse 4. Whoops. Doing that. Can't get a time of the end. The time of the end. The time of the end. The time of the end. I, I want to drill that in that the, the book is sealed until the time of the end. Now, watch this. Revelation chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, I'm not going to go through and expound out all these, but I'm just going to give you little tips on how to see some of the things. And then you go do your own study and see if you don't come to the same conclusion. And he showed me a, a pure river of water of life. Now, understand, Dan, or John is seeing this, these visions. Now, visions have representation of things that are real. I'm not saying they're not real, but the way the language is used, people say, you're not, using, you're not interpreting that literally. Literally has to do with literature. And the kind of literature that you read, you have to interpret it different. You interpret poetry different than you interpret a historical narrative. You interpret a historical narrative different than you uh, interpret apocalyptic kind of language and visions and dreams. You, you just do. That, that should be a given to us. We should understand that. So when he says, a pure water of life, clear, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where do, you, where do you think of when you think of this water of life? Where, where does your mind go to? Does it go to the woman at the well? Hmm. I will give to you the water of life. You'll, you'll never thirst again, right? Oh, give, give me this water so I don't have to come back here and get the pots again. She had no clue. She thought he's talking about actual water. Like many people think this talks about real water. No, it's talking about water of life. And it comes out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. It comes, out of, it comes from Christ himself. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And watch this, watch this. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask the question. You ponder it. Are nations in heaven? People are in heaven, and they're out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, but nations are not in there. There's just one nation when you get to, 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 to heaven. 
Okay? Just think about that a second. It's for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Let me ask you something. Has Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law? Yes, he has. There's no more curse. There's no more condemnation, Paul says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. He did it. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Mm, how you like that one? It shall be in their foreheads, just like Deuteronomy 6. Bind them as frontlets on your eyes. Bind them around your hand. And there shall be no night there, and there no need for a candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. What are we talking about? Go read First John. What is light and darkness? Law, lawlessness. Law, lawlessness. Law, lawlessness. Light is law. Darkness is dark. <laughs> okay? As lawlessness, I'm sorry. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, and I want you to notice he does this twice in this passage, and he does it at the first part of the book. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which, what, what? Must shortly be done. Shortly be done. And then he says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. If the prophecies of Revelation are for our future, how in the world are the seven churches to whom the Revelation was given? And by the way, let me just make sure. It's not Revelations. You, you sound silly when you say Revelations. It's not that. It's the unveiling. Revelation is the unveiling, and the full title of it is the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing that the king is come in his kingdom. That's what it is. And notice what he says. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things, and that was a big no-no. Then saith he, Cut that out. See, thou do not, do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Don't worship angels. Don't worship men. Don't worship tyrants. Don't worship men's laws. Worship God. And he saith unto me, watch this. Remember what Daniel had? Daniel had was told to seal up the prophecy of the book. Watch this. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Why? For the time is at hand. It's not thousands of years off in the future. It's at hand. I do not believe for one minute the book of Revelation is written at the end of the first century. I th I'm going to tell you what I think. I think those things that people have gone on to that to hide the identity of the king. I think all this looking to the future for Christ's kingdom is to hide the truth of the king. It is not to bow their knee to the king. It is to hide him. If he's not here, if it's not established, people feel better about themselves. John says, 
is told not to seal up this book. Why? I'm going to tell you. I believe that John is revealing the very things that Daniel was called to seal up. He was called to unseal them. Why? The time of the end. The last days are here. The end of the world was there for them. I think it's clear. I, I, I really do. I understand if you have still some questions, because if you're like me, you were indoctrinated all over the scriptures with this look to the future. And yet, Jesus says this, and, and get this, and I, <clears throat> he tells us what? To seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things, the things of life, will be added to us. How do you seek the kingdom of God if it isn't established. How do you seek that? How do you seek it if it's way out there in the future? No, friends, the kingdom of God was established in the last days at the end of the world when Messiah came, giving himself as a sacrifice for his people to reconcile them back to God, destroying all the elements, and you'll get that that terminology from what we read out of 2 Peter chapter 3. All the elements of that old covenant world. So as I told you before, if you go over to Jerusalem, you're not going to see the land where Jesus and the apostles were. You're going to see something else because that thing was completely wiped out to where Josephus said it looked like it hadn't even been inhabited. Now they just want your money to come over there and look at their Jewishness which isn't even Jewishness. It's the synagogue of Satan. Friends, we're free. We've been freed and in the kingdom of God. Yes, I've talked about the slavery of things that I learn here that I have engaged in ignorantly. I didn't know. I want out of it. I want out of the whole daggum system. I want out of it in any way I can get out of it. But listen to me. The last days have come and gone. And with it came the kingdom of God, of his Christ, whom he sat on the throne, who rules and reigns over the nations, and every person on the face of the earth is commanded to repent and to bow their knee to this king and this king alone. And if you don't, his anger will be riled against you, just like any kings would. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent, submit to the king, enjoy the blessings of the kingdom. They're available to us. And then as his people, understanding our role in being his hands and feet as judges of the nations. We, we need to go and do that. That's part of discipleship. We need to be a part of that. I don't know if Bradley be with you at three, but if he is, he is. If not, we'll have the educational video. Boy, we're running right at two hours here. Thank you for being patient and listening. Um, if you have questions, I'm open to hear the questions, but let's stay on the topic that we're on. If you're going off on something I'm talking about, I'm not going to answer it because I'm going to lay the foundations first. You want to go ahead and read some stuff and get in that. You can do that. That's great. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm, I have no authority over you for that. But if you got questions, you're welcome to send them to me or leave them in the comment section or something like that. But please keep it on the topic of the day, the last days according to the Bible. Okay. And that will help. That will help us. I know the anxiety is there. You want to get into these other things. I get it. I, cause I'm the same. I was the same way. I still am the same way about some things. 
But let's stay where we're at. If you ask those, it might be beneficial to other people too, because they probably have some of the same, same questions. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m. Talk to you then.